Thanks for sharing, Allison, what the Lord has been doing in your life and how he's been using you. And uh, you don't know this probably, but that'll be a perfect illustration for some of the things we're going to talk about today. So we praise the Lord for that. So and his timing's perfect. So if you would stand with me as we read God's word, I'll, I'll read from Galatians chapter three, beginning in verse 22, all the way through chapter four, verse 11. So Galatians chapter three, beginning in verse 22. Paul says here to the churches in Galatia, but the scripture has shut up all men under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before the faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor, or maybe better, a child attendant, to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. Now that the faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might be might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I've labored labored over you in vain. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles again to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verse 28 here as we continue this series, and this, Lord willing, is the the end of the series on the role of men and women in the church and home. We're talking about building on the foundation. This is our third message in, in this part of the series, building on the foundation, the foundation that was laid in, in Genesis 1 and 2. I'd like to take one more lesson here today to correct some of the errors about the roles of men and women in uh, the church and home before we dive back into uh, Ephesians chapter 5. So, Lord willing, uh, next Sunday we'll be back into our expositional study of Ephesians 5 beginning in verse 22 and forward. So, some people criticize us for not letting and encouraging women to be men. Others criticize us for not being dogmatic about women's roles outside of the church and the home on on very specific things. What we need to do to help us with this is to answer some questions, basic questions like, what is man? What is woman? We're talking about ontology. Uh, Ontology is the study of the nature of being. And here we're talking about how do we apply that to people. So really what we're going to do first is answer the question, what is a human? 
Well, the Bible, as we've seen, again, in that foundation, Genesis 1 and 2, we've seen the Bible declares that humans are created in God's image. That's very basic but very important. And as the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology says, they are personally related to the Creator because we're created in His image, and we're persons, and morally responsible to Him for fulfilling their calling in ruling the earth for His glory. And there's a lot in that that I really like, and um, we'll be touching on that in, in various pieces here as we go through this morning. But God has called us both, men and women, to rule this earth, to have dominion over this earth, His creation. And we are to do that for His glory. We're going to see in Galatians 3.28 that men and women are ontologically equal as God's image bearers. Men and women are ontologically equal as God's image bearers. And we're talking about here at the deepest level. At the deepest level, we are ontologically the same. But we also learn from Scripture that God has assigned different roles to men and women. And so in order to enable them to carry out their respective roles, God has gifted men and women with various complementary, that is, they go together, not saying nice things about each other, but to complement one another. With He's gifted us with various complementary strengths where one is weak, the other is strong. It is right for us as we go through this series and as we have done in this series to emphasize our roles. And we're criticized for that. People want us to uh, to emphasize more so our nature and not our role. But role is actually what the Scriptures emphasizes and we should do the same thing. You see, role determines nature. Nature does not determine role. And we're going to work through that. There's a good bit of controversy out there where people disagree with that. But I'm going to show you why this is what the Bible is teaching. What I mean by this is that God assigned men and women their roles. And then He provides them with the appropriate nature to carry out those roles. You see, so we have to get it in the right order. And don't get the cart before the horse. You see, God, His decree comes first. He ordained this is how, this is what the roles will be and who will do those roles. And then I give them the nature, the abilities, the giftedness to carry out those roles. We call this nature or this giftedness, we call it maleness and femaleness or manhood and womanhood. And you'll find that in the literature as we talk about if you read more on this. Maleness and femaleness, manhood, womanhood. So how then does Galatians 3.28 help us to work our way through this? Well, one of the things we're going to see uh, is that it's going to um, show us at the very basic level to start us out right that we are ontologically the same. Now, what's going on in in Galatians? Paul wrote Galatians to correct a departure from the true gospel. False teachers were saying that believers need to return to the law to be sanctified. And so the, the point, and you can get confused in Galatians if you don't understand this, but Paul is saying that, okay, you guys, you recognize that you should be justified by faith, by the Spirit through faith, but, but you're trying to go on with the Christian life in sanctification by keeping the law, by works, not by the Spirit and not by faith. That's what's going on there. And his concern is that if they do that and he lets that go on, then what they're going, what's going to happen is that is going to continue eroding the foundation of justification by faith. And, and so then, as you go back to the beginning of Galatians, you know, he says, you know, that's another gospel. And he has some very sharp Strong words for those who do that. What Paul does in Galatians is to show them that something far more wonderful has happened to them than just being justified by faith, 
And then, as they were seeing it, now I've got to work in my own power by the law. He said, no, something far more wonderful has happened to us. We are saved by the Spirit through faith. And that salvation is justification and sanctification. It is by the Spirit through faith. So when he gets to chapter 3, verses 26 to 29, there at the end of chapter 3, he lists four results of God's saving work in us. We're only going to talk about one of these. These are wonderful. I'd love to spend time to unpack them, but you can, I'll, I'll refer you to Stephen's teaching a while back as he went through Galatians, and, and, and I'm sure I don't remember it because, you know, it was longer ago than yesterday, but uh, you can go back to Stephen's, and uh, I'm sure he will unpack all that, or has already unpacked all that. So he lists four results of God's saving work. First, in verse 26, we are all full sons of God. Second, verse 27, we have exchanged our natural character with Christ's character. So you see, what he's doing here is he's, he's chipping away at the, what they were trying to say. Oh, we need to be sanctified by the law. But he's saying, no, we have something so much better. Third, the distinctions that used to divide us should divide us no longer. Verse 28. And that's what we're going to be spending time on today. And then number four, real quick. We inherit the promise in the Abrahamic covenant. You see, the Abrahamic covenant, which was actually before the law, we don't get to it through the law. We get to it through Christ by the work of the Spirit, by having faith in the work of Christ, right? And so we will inherit that. We have the most wonderful blessings that God has promised as He promised them through Abraham. And so we're going to talk about how we have those and and what he has done. So first, though, evangelical feminists have said, you know, we believe the Bible, but we think you've you've misinterpreted it. And so then they, you know, enlighten us and they say that, well, you know, Galatians 3.28 actually says, you know, because men and women are. Uh, there, there's neither male nor female, then all of our role distinctions have gone away. They've disappeared in Christ. Okay? Well, is that what this is saying? Looking at verse 28. Paul says, For there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So they're saying that, okay, see, this proves that role distinctions disappear. And so if a woman wants to come up here Sunday morning in the main assembly and preach the word, she should be able to do that. If a woman wants to be an elder of a church, she should be able to do that. If she wants to be the head of her home, she should be able to do that. That's what they say, and that's how they, they apply this or, or interpret this. But has all distinction between the sexes gone away? No. Paul is saying that that's one of those differences that used to divide people. And I'll talk about how it divided people back then in just a moment. But whether it is um, the sexes or racial or social, these divided people. And Paul is saying in Christ, those, those reasons for division go away. And that we should be one in Christ. And this is the beauty of the gospel. In Christ, deep racial barriers, Jew and Gentile, those were, that, that was the deepest barrier that there's ever been racially. There have been some other deep ones. But even that one, he said, okay, that as a divider goes away. The deep barrier between the sexes, the deep social barriers between a a master and, and slaves, those no longer divide us in Christ. In Christ, all those barriers have been broken down and we are all sons of one father. Now, let's talk for a minute about what was going on then. What's the backdrop to this? 
Well, in ancient times, we're, and now we're, we're going to focus on the uh, barrier between the sexes that had existed. In ancient times, women were treated terribly, even among the Jews. James Boyce writes, How difficult it is to find any statement about the equality of the sexes, however weak, in any ancient texts except those of Christianity, the Old and New Testaments. And then he also points out, and you've heard this before, a common morning prayer among Jewish men included this, I thank God that thou hast not made me a woman. And you know, as I listen to some of these guys out there that are writing that are criticizing us and our, our view of complementarianism, they're starting to sound like that. They're not saying that exactly, but they're starting to sound that way. And that's alarming. Josephus wrote that women were inferior to men in every way. Again, I'm hearing that kind of thing as I read some of these people out there. That's what they were dealing with. That's what women were were dealing with and why there was such a divide there. And the pagan world, that was mostly the Jewish world, the pagan world was at least as bad or worse. But Paul shows here why he says this in Christ there's neither male nor female is that in Christ men and women are equal just as they were in God's original design. Now, remember remember all the things that we've been saying, okay? Don't think that by that I'm saying that the feminists are right. And the role distinctions go away. No, we've seen in God's original design. How many evidences did we see in Genesis 1 and 2 that male headship is God's original design? Do you remember how many? Eight. That's before the fall. Okay, but... We are equal even though we have different roles. Okay? We've been saying that all along here. Think about this. What did God use to create Eve? What substance, what stuff did he use to create her? It was Adam's rib, right? They're made of the same stuff. It wasn't that he went over to the dust like he did Adam and and then create a woman and, well, okay, they might be kind of different. No, she's made out of him. That's actually what Genesis says. Is made from man, and, and we saw that in First Corinthians as well. Men and women are more alike than not. Have you ever thought about that? I know we joke sometimes about how you know, you know, one is from Venus, the other from Mars, and all these kinds of you know silly things. And I know it's sometimes some of that stuff can be funny, but because we are different in in some ways, but we're more alike than not. And if you go and make a list, you'll see that. I mean, men and women both have, you know, two ears and two eyes and two arms and hands and two legs. You know, our head is at the top of our body. You know, it's just we're, you know, we have one nose. We're, we're so much alike, more alike than not. OK, and we forget that sometimes. And think about how the Bible treats us. It treats us. The same way. The vast majority of the commands in the Bible are given to whom? Men or women? Both. Both. And the Bible views both of us equally as worshiper, disciple, servant. Do you hear that? That's how the Bible thinks about us, how it talks about us, how it admonishes us and teaches us. Worshipper, disciple, servant, those those categories. We're, men and women are both that. And have you thought about this? The Bible doesn't, Jesus didn't say, you men, you will reign with me one day and, and women, you'll keep helping us. No, he says that we will both reign with Christ. All of us will reign with Christ. In Christ, there is no ontological distinction. There is no difference in worth. There's no difference in essence. There's no difference in relationship to God. And we're talking about ontology at the deepest level. Okay, and I'm going to talk about the differences, okay? 
But we're talking about ontology at the deepest level, at the level of personhood, at, at the level of being created in the image of God as persons. And think about this. This is it, It's always been this way. I mean, before we were in Christ, we had one nature. Ephesians 2, 3, do you remember? That you were by nature, what? Children of wrath. And he didn't say, well, you women, that's what y'all were. Or you men, that's what y'all were. All of us, we had the same nature. We were children of wrath. And then to use that same Greek word, phusis, for nature, Peter says in Second Peter 1, 4, that in Christ we're partakers of the divine nature. See, we have the same nature. We had it before we were saved, and we have the same nature after we're saved. And as we're talking about here in Galatians 3, and you've heard me say this before as I've, I've taught through Paul's letters at different times. Ladies, he does not call you daughters here. And we have to be careful. Sometimes it, it's fine if we say sons and daughters, but when we're talking about a passage like this, I think it is incredibly and damagingly wrong to say sons and daughters here. Because it completely misses Paul's point. It completely misses what we need to hear. Ladies, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a son. Now you may say, oh, I'd rather be called a daughter. No, you wouldn't really if you know what Paul's talking about. Now, is this making us men? No, it's not doing that either. Because, think about what we read already in the Scripture reading from Galatians 3 and 4. So, is it that... The, the male children are now the full heirs of their father? No. The male and female children of a, back in, in ancient times, of that Greek or Roman father, both male and female children were slaves. Remember, we read that. We just read that. We were like slaves. Even though we will inherit everything, we're not yet in a position to be the full heirs. So we both start out down here as children, boys and girls, who are basically slaves. And then there's a slave who's actually over us, and that's the law. Remember, we read that. But then both of us are elevated to this level, this status of son. So think about when, a, when a, in, a, in the Roman world, when a male child reached adulthood, he then at that point, he was considered adopted by his father. And so he was now something that he wasn't before. He was a full son. He now has the full rights and privileges as his father's heir. All that stuff's his. He has full discretion now to do with it as he wills. You see, it's like it's all mine now. But that only used to happen to the boys when they would reach that age. What Paul is saying, in Christ, if you will, we boys and girls, once we are saved, we become sons. We achieve that high status Full heirs of God. Isn't that beautiful? That is what he's saying here. That we are full heirs. He's not saying, he's not talking about that our distinctions go away. I mean, a Greek person no longer was Greek. A Jew was no longer Jewish by blood. and, and No. They were still that. that. That just just loses the whole point of what we saw in Ephesians 2. Now, he has pulled Jew and Greek together and put them together in a body. And the fact that we're, you know, you see, you see ladies here and you see men here. And, and we see people with all sorts of differences that would have at one time, you know, divided us. We stay what we were. But the dividers are all gone. And we're one and we're all at that same status of son. In Christ, women share in the full rights and privileges as heirs of God. So then, are the feminists right? Then that role distinctions disappear in Christ? Certainly not. Uh, for one, think about 
the New Testament passages, most of which we've looked at, that actually go through these role distinctions. And you think about, you know, 1 Corinthians 11 and 14 and Ephesians, we've, we're going to be talking more about. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, Titus 2, and then there's 1 Peter 3, you know, Colossians. All of those were written after Galatians. So, it's, see, the, the feminists want us to think that, okay, so Paul, you know, he was kind of, you know, man of his times, and, and he's going on with this male chauvinism, you know, he wrote Ephesians, women, you know, wives submit to your husbands. But then, it's like, wow, wow, okay, I learned something. We're all the same, and so there's no role distinctions. Galatians 3.28. Wrong. Because all that was written after Galatians 3.28. Okay, now, an even more important reason to understand that he's not saying here that role distinctions disappear, is that Paul, in all of those passages, bases the role distinctions on what? What is, what is the main foundation that he builds on? You should know this. I said it a million, million times. Creation. Chapters what and what of what book? Chapter 1 and... To, okay, what book? Genesis, right? They're all based on that. God's original design still stands. So when he says, in Christ there's neither male nor female, he's not wiping out the original, God's original design. All that said, we still do need to add a layer to our ontology. What Galatians 3.28 is talking about is that that deepest level, if you will. But we need to add a layer. Men and women are equal. But since God has assigned them different roles, aspects of their nature, do you hear that? Aspects of their nature differ. We call those maleness and femaleness. Now, let's talk about what maleness and femaleness are. You, you've seen this in some form through this series already, but let me go through this again because it helps us to understand this uh, in our ontology. So now as we add a layer, what, what do we do? What do we say? First, maleness is the unique giftedness. That's the nature, okay? It's the unique giftedness from God that enables a man to glorify God. We've got to keep that front and center. Glorify God, okay? Because you'll see as we come back toward the end to this. It enables him to glorify God by leading, providing for, and protecting those under his care. Because he is head, they are under his care, okay? Similarly, femaleness is the unique giftedness from God that enables a woman to, again, glorify God by... Helping, giving life, and nurturing those in her care. Okay, so that could even be toward her husband. Okay, so he's not under her care. He's in her care. She's caring for him. Okay. Now, let me say real quick, these differences must never be seen as deficits or defects. And we talked about that a little bit previously, but but make sure we, we don't see that. Okay, because one of us is... Weaker in an area than the other, that doesn't make us inferior, okay? So, let's don't allow ourselves to go there. And don't think only on the physical level. The physical level. What I mean by this is, okay, for a man, a a husband or a father, and for a woman, a wife or a mother, let's don't just think on the physical level. Now, that's important, and the Bible talks about that, and we're going to be getting into that a lot more when we get on into Ephesians 5. But the physical level points to the spiritual level. The physical level points to the spiritual level. Where do I get that from? Ephesians 5. Okay, so Paul talks about marriage there, right? Talks wives, husbands. And then when he gets to the end, what does he say? Now, what I'm really talking about is what? Christ and his church. You see, the physical level is important as it is, and it is important. It's pointing us to the spiritual, that which is eternal, right? And we can't lose sight of that. Too often, 
in our, uh, like books you read, blogs you read, you know, sermons that are preached a lot of times, that we only focus on, for ladies, the domestic aspects of their life. Now, it is a part of their life. It's a big part. But that's all. It's just on, you know, the things that they do domestically. And we never point them to, what, what is that a picture of? It's a picture of the spiritual. The same with men. Whereas we, we maybe talk about their work that God gave us to do. Or, and so we think in terms of career, employment, things like that. And we don't think about that. That is a picture of what is eternal. That which is spiritual. And we need to think that way. I want to give you some examples here. And this, these are examples for all of us. But I've uh, kind of I'm leaning toward the examples being of those who are not married and or don't have children. Okay, because I want you to see this will help to illustrate how all of us need to be thinking in terms of, okay, if I have kids and I'm changing diapers or if I'm slogging through my job as a man, how is that a picture of the eternal? That marriage is about Christ and the church, that kind of thinking, okay? So, for example, Paul. Guys, this is, this is for you. Paul fulfilled his maleness spiritually. Well, how could he do that? And some of these people you read, you think there's no way he could have. Because he wasn't married and he didn't have kids. How could he do that? Well, even though he was single, he led. Who did he lead? The churches. Okay. He provided. How did he provide? He provided spiritual nourishment by giving them the word, teaching them the word. Right? He protected. He didn't have a wife to protect, didn't have kids to protect, but he protected. Who did he protect? The churches. Who did he protect them from? Wolves. False teachers. That's what Galatians is about. So we saw last time First Timothy was about. Right? So you see, see what I'm talking about? So even if you're a single man or married and don't have children that you still can carry out these things that a man is to do because God created him to lead, to protect, to provide. Okay? And all of us should think that way. Single women. Let me give you some, uh, well, not just for single women, but for women to think, but some examples. Single women like Mary and Martha, they use their home and their resources, remember, as helpers to Jesus and the apostles. Or the disciples, and, and, and the larger group of disciples sometimes would come there and eat, and they provided their home. Those like Phoebe and Lydia and, and a lot of others were helpers to the apostles and their churches. These women transformed their homes into places of ministry. They opened their homes for... To, okay, we're going to have a church there because they didn't have church buildings yet. Okay, they they opened their homes to discipleship. They opened their homes for prayer meetings. They opened their homes for evangelism. Okay, you thinking in terms here of being a giver of life? Okay, so if if you if God doesn't ordain that you have children, how are you going to be a giver of life? Evangelism. It might not be you directly, but maybe you make your home a place where evangelism can happen. You say, hey, brother, would you come and lead an evangelistic Bible study? I'll provide the home. I'll provide the the refreshments. You come and evangelize. I'll invite my neighbors, you know. You see, that's what was happening. Priscilla. Okay, here's a married woman, probably didn't have kids. She helped her husband correct Apollo's doctrine. So she's working with her husband, helping. See, there's helping. Tabitha, or Dorcas, as she's also called. She was a helper to many in Acts 9. I, I love in Romans 16, Paul's talking about all those different people, how they've helped him and blessed him in different ways. And he talks about Rufus's mother. Okay? So she's, she's a, a literal mother. She had a, a boy named Rufus. Okay? Paul said she was also my mother. She was a mother to me. So you see here that she was a literal mother in the physical sense of providing Rufus with life. But she's ministering to Paul, who she didn't give birth to, as his mother. 
So she provided mothering, nurturing to Paul that he needed. And and so you see, but that was on a spiritual level. God created men and women with necessary abilities, qualities, traits, giftedness, however you want to talk about it, to carry out the roles that he's assigned to them. That's what I'm, I'm saying through all this. When he created them male and female, he bestowed on them the natures that would enable them to carry out their roles, the assigned roles. Ray Ortland, for example, explains that nature follows the wise decrees of God. So God decrees the roles. Man, you're going to lead. Woman, you're going to be the helper. He decrees that. And then following the wise decree is the nature God gave them. However, some writers argue that we should root men and women's roles in their nature. And they actually fault complementarians. And when we say, okay, a woman is not allowed to preach because Paul said she's not allowed to. No, no, it should be her nature. Look at her nature. And for one, that takes you down a bad path. But that's not what the Bible does. One of those writers even said that God's purposes and duties for us flow from our differing natures. Yikes. Really? And, and they don't say this, but it's, it's like what they're doing is they say, okay, well, God created man and he created woman. And then he's like, hmm, now let, me, let me study them and see which one should lead. Well, Adam's stronger, he's faster, you know. More you know, apt to take risks, so he'll be the leader. And then, woman, oh, you know the way she, you know, is. I think she'd be a good helper, nurturer, give her life. No, that's backwards. That's upside down. As I said earlier, <clears throat> role determines nature. Nature does not determine roles. See, God assigned our roles in His wise decree, and then He provides the nature for us to do that role. Okay? What happens is, and this is even more problematic the way these guys are, are teaching, is that they elevate natural revelation above special revelation. Okay, that's a problem. And, you know, natural revelations, that's what we, it's Romans 1, 2, what we, what we know by instinct, what we know from, we can look around us at the world and we can say there's a God. But can we build rules off of that? No, because we, it doesn't tell us what kind of God he is. And what they do is they elevate natural revelation above special revelation, special, special revelation being God's revealed word. Why do they do this? Well, they do this because God's Word doesn't explicitly spell out women's roles outside of the church and home. Okay, You're not going to find anywhere in the Bible, you can go look later if you want to, but you're not going to find women shall not be police officers. Okay, They would like it to say that. It doesn't. Okay, you know, whether we, some of you may be okay with women police officers, others maybe not. However, I'm not saying one way or the other, but they want it to say specific things like that, and it doesn't. And because it doesn't, they say, what we need to do is then go to their natures and study their natures and conclude from the nature. What and They want to study the natures of men and women and then develop rules that are binding on everyone everywhere. Okay, and that that becomes problematic. First, God's word doesn't do that, and second, there are just so many factors in there. Okay, um, and we can talk about that. I've got too much to to go off on a rabbit trail there, so I'm gonna I'm gonna resist. God's decree comes first. Men don't protect because they are stronger. Men are stronger because God has appointed them to protect. Does that make sense? Men don't protect because they're stronger. Men are stronger because God appointed them to protect. 
Okay, so that is that's what we find in Scripture, I believe. Um, Andreas and Margaret Kostenberger in their book make a helpful point. True masculinity and femininity are grounded in a man's or woman's underlying God-given purpose and role. So, see, it starts with God's decree, okay? He decided what their purpose and their roles would be. And they say, we should be careful to avoid stereotypes of masculinity and femininity that owe more to cultural perceptions than to biblical guidelines. And you can think here, you know how... No, again, it's another rabbit trail. Okay, I'm resisting, okay? Okay, a little later, they continue this thought. The intelligence or the teaching or administrative ability, that is nature, of men or women isn't determinative in God's assigning of men's and women's roles. Again, God doesn't say, well, you know, okay, you know, Adam's faster and stronger, so he'll be the leader. No, he said... Because I want him to be the leader, he's going to be stronger and faster, okay? And maybe risk taker, however you might say that, okay? They go on, it's simply a matter of his sovereign discretion and deliberate design. Again, role determines nature. Now, why did I bring all this up? Well, conversations often focus on issues like women working outside the home, okay? I know that's a, a can of worms, and, and I'm not going to let that stay open here, so because it, there's a lot of different views on it, okay? But when we look at Scripture, Proverbs 31 does allow this to some extent, okay? Now, where we have to talk it through is to what extent, okay? <clears throat> The examples of Lydia and Priscilla, they were they had jobs that were not part of their domestic calling. Okay, so scripture has this holds up the the excellent wife as someone who had work that was outside of her her, you know, working in her marriage and family. But but this and I want to leave us with some guidelines that help us talk about this in a way that is Christ-like, okay? Our primary concern in a situation like that must be, is that woman fulfilling her God-given role as a woman? Okay? So we might say one woman can have a job outside the home because she takes care of everything in the home. She takes care of her husband. She takes care of her kids. and she does. Okay, then you see what I'm saying? And I'm not saying what is right, what is the right, right wrong ways. I'm saying this is how we think about it. Is she able to do what God has called her to do explicitly in Scripture? In other words, is her home her base of operations? That's what we find in Proverbs 31. Because she's doing everything that God has called her to do as a woman with her femaleness. And then she launches out and does some other things too. Okay, we have to understand that and, and say, okay, is she... Is her home her base of operations? What I mean by that is, if, for example, a woman has has outside employment and her home is a shambles, there's a problem. Okay, and now that doesn't necessarily mean she has to quit that job. With okay, if the job keeps her from doing that, then maybe so. You see what I'm saying? And that's, that's how we should approach these things. What about women who choose to do what doesn't seem to be wise? Let's say that your daughter grows up and she decides, you know, I'm, I'm going to go into the army and I want to be frontline combat position. I want to, you know, take on the enemy. Okay, I know there are different views on that within Christianity. And, you know, and some of us would say, that is not a good idea, that is not going to be okay. And, you know, as your dad, I'm telling you, no way, Jose. And, you know, but she turns 18 and what she do? She just goes off and does it, okay? So then what do you do? Do you, do you, you know, bring her under church discipline or, you know, and she says, yeah, I'm going to do what I, I want to do. And, well, I'm not saying we don't have conversations with her. I don't, I'm not saying that we don't sit down and say, look, this is what God's Word says that I think applies to this. And why I don't think this is something you ought to do. And I don't think it's appropriate. Here's what, you know, the Bible says. And we can even look at our natures. And, and there are lots of things about our natures that, that 
you know, make it rather, you know, not a good idea. You know, if I were a soldier, I wouldn't want a soldier next to me that can't carry me if I get shot. Right? You see what I'm saying? We have those kind of conversations. But is that the issue that we focus on? Is that all we talk about? Are we only concerned if she says, okay, well, yeah, okay, I, I won't do that then because you feel strongly about it. Well, there are bigger issues that we need to be talking about with her. Should we rather engage them on questions of eternal importance? And so don't lose sight of the weightier eternal things. These topics are important. I am not saying that and do not. If you go and say, John's saying they're not important, then you're, you're, just, you're, you're saying things that are not true. Okay. They are important. But they don't all have an eternal impact. Okay. And that may be the, I mean, God uses our sin to draw us to, our, to himself. He uses our foolish choices to do works of grace in us. I mean, a lot of us could raise our hands and say, yep, that's exactly what God did in my life. We're not saying that it's okay and wonderful and... But are we focusing on the physical again? The earthly and forgetting the eternal? Think of this. Heed Jesus' admonition to Martha. She was fulfilling her role as a woman by preparing a meal. Does that story bother you? It bothers me. Because here she's doing what God created her to do. She's making a meal for the disciples and Jesus. I mean, that's a wonderful thing to do. They need to eat. But Jesus admonishes her. And even as a guy, I'm like, okay, so what am I missing? As a guy. You see... He tries to get across to her, and it apparently did, because you think John 11, she seems to have an eternal perspective more so. He's, he's showing her that there's something eternally more significant that, she sh- that should have taken precedence at that moment. Those are the stories that should be uncomfortable for us so that they teach us a lesson. doesn't mean that Okay, Jesus and the disciples are going to skip meals for several days. It doesn't mean that at all. What he's saying is that your God is right here in the house. And he's teaching. You should be at his feet. Remember those roles? Worshipper. Disciple. Right? Servant. She should have been there saying, okay, as long as you're, you're talking, Jesus, I'm here and I'm soaking it all up. And you let me know when we get a break and I'll run in there and you know, make some quick sandwiches. Right? Her role as worshiper and disciple was more, more significant at that moment. That was of eternal importance. So let me encourage all of us. We saw 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen 16 <clears throat> with the role of men and women. Don't be contentious. Paul says that, okay? <clears throat> Don't impose your opinions on others. <clears throat> it's okay to talk about it. We should. We need to. But if somebody, you know, sitting next to you has a different view on some of, you know, the role of women and their wife does something different than your wife, don't go telling where you're in sin because you don't do it like my wife. Okay? That, that's the wrong thing. Ask questions. Be humble. Be patient. We need to realize that God is working in different people at different times and on different things. Okay? We are not all on the same exact place in the road of sanctification. Some are further along than others. And we need to be patient, not only with them, but with God and what He's doing. And hopefully GBC will be a place where we are all learning and growing together. And maybe you say, you know, on this particular thing, I feel like I've learned a lot and God's shown me a lot and I feel like I'm doing the right thing here. My neighbor isn't. But you know what? They're a whole lot more evangelistic than I am. I need to learn there. You see, so that we don't expect that 
you have to, you know, we've got a list of all the things we think are right. It's like, okay, if you can check all those off, then you can be a member here. We don't want that. Now, there are some things, yes, at the top of that list, you know, that we would say, you know, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, okay, we've got a big problem, right? I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about the things that the Scripture is not explicit about, okay? And so, you know, I, I mentioned the example that some people will talk about, you know, can women be police officers, okay? If a woman police officer comes in here, let's love her and receive her graciously. And she claims to be a Christian. Don't just, well, you better quit being a police officer right now. You can't be a member here. No, we're not going to do that. If that's what your belief is, I'm not saying that that's our church's belief because we don't have a particular stand on that. We have different views. But if that's your view, that don't mandate those things. That scripture doesn't mandate. Okay, does that make sense? I hope so. So that GBC is a place where we're all learning and growing together. <clears throat> so, at the Lord's table, as we come here, remember to not only think merely on the the earthly, physical level, domestic, employment, career, work, men. Don't think on just that level. Those are pictures that proclaim this message. Your marriage, remember Ephesians 5, we're going to get into. The whole point, Paul says, wives submit, husbands love your wife. And it goes all, a lot of verses on that. And he says, now, okay, my main point is this is about Christ and the church. That's where we need to come right now. It's about Christ and His church. <clears throat> These physical things are pictures for us to point us to Him. Marriage points to points us to Jesus who died for us. Jesus who loves us and cares for His church. Okay, So let's focus on Jesus as we come to this and, and to the table and, and think in terms of, okay, Lord, those, those other things are important and I want to keep working through them. But help me not to lose sight of the eternal, and to lose sight of you, Jesus, that all this is pointing back to you and your love for your church. Okay.